0: Hey everybody, Saul Marquez here with the Outcomes Rocket. Are you going to Health? That's H-L-T-H. It's the largest and most important conference for health innovation. H L T H, pronounced health, is a one-of-a-kind ecosystem event for the health industry. And they're on a mission to bring together 5,000 plus senior leaders to solve the most pressing problems facing healthcare today and actualize the most promising opportunities to improve health. They bring together senior leaders from across payers, providers, employers, investors, fast-growing startups, pharma, policymakers, and innovation centers to ask one question. How do we create the future of health? I'll be there, and I hope to see you there too. If you use Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150 as the promo code, that's Outcomes Rocket Podcast 150, you'll get $150 off your ticket. Looking forward to seeing you there. Go to hlth.com to sign up. That's hlth.com. Use that promo code, OutcomesRocketPodcast150. And I am excited to see you there. I'll even have a booth recording some podcasts live at the event, the MGM in Las Vegas. So, so excited to see you there. Don't be afraid to say hi. And uh, we're gonna learn a lot there, so HLTH.com. Today I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Walter Greenleaf. He specializes in the medical application of virtual reality and augmented reality. He's currently at the Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab. Walter is a behavioral neuroscientist and a medical technology developer working at Stanford University. With over three decades of research and development experience in the field of digital medicine and medical virtual reality technology, Walter is considered a leading authority in the field. Dr. Greenleaf has uh, designed and developed numerous clinical systems over the last 33 years, including products in the fields of surgical simulation, 3D medical visualization, telerehabilitation, clinical informatics, clinical decision support, point of care clinical data, and so on. With all the things that he has worked on, he's brought forth a New Wave has uh, been part of the wave from analog to digital medicine, and it's a true privilege to have him here on the podcast today. He also serves as the Director of Technology and Strategy at the National Mental Health Innovation Center, Chief Science Officer at Therapeutics, and a Senior Vice President of Strategic and Corporate Affairs at MindMaze. Uh, with that, I want to open up the microphone to Walter to fill in any of the gaps of the uh, Introduction that we've already uh, presented. Walter, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you, Saul. I'm I'm very happy to be here. And gee, after that introduction, I feel both busy and uh, sort of antique. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: too funny. Well, you know what? It's uh, it's incredible. You know, and, and I find that the people in our in our health system that uh, find the time to do the valuable things that you're doing. Are the ones that are the most dedicated and so I'd love to hear from you what is it that got you into the health sector to begin
1: with? well um, I guess what got me started was back when I was uh, a teenager I had some philosophical questions arise that whole nature versus nurture free will versus determined as a type of question as you know as our I guess libido starts being developed I I was really I was really uh, perplexed by that whole thing of duality of our, our cultural messages of what our behavior should be and and what my body was telling me. And that got me started very curious about the neuroscience and also the endocrinology behind the neuroendocrinology behind our behavior and our mood led me to focusing on those topics while when I was an undergraduate. I was fortunate enough to go to a college that uh, gave us some time to do some, some research studies, and that led me to my graduate work at Stanford University, where I had a focus on studying how hormones in people affected our mood and our behavior. And that got me started into research, and from there, I transitioned into uh, medical product development.
0: What an interesting path, Walter. And so what was one of your most interesting insights when researching hormones?
1: Well, um, I guess it's hard to summarize uh, that area of work, but I guess an insight I did have is that, you know, despite the fact that we take a lot of exogenous hormones uh, clinically and, you know, for birth control purposes, et cetera, there hasn't been a large amount of work on their effect on our, our mood and our and our behavior. It's still an evolving mm-hmm. discipline. So despite the fact that we know very well that uh, some of the, uh, the hormones that we are taking uh, do affect our Levels of depression, for example, it hasn't been as, uh, as thoroughly studied as, as it probably should be.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, uh, perspective. And, you know, it's all interconnected. And, and today I feel like we're definitely spending a lot more time thinking about the mind as well as the body. And so something to think about there for everybody listening. you know What's the effect of hormones on mood and behavior and the overall mental health of individuals and populations? So as we fast forward into your work today, Walter, what would you say is, is a hot topic that needs to be on leaders' agendas today? And how are you approaching it in the various uh, various hats
1: that you wear? Well, I, I think one of the exciting things for me is that um, the continents are colliding. The Technology companies like Microsoft, Apple, uh, Google, Samsung, uh, many others, uh, Amazon even, uh, are getting involved in healthcare, and they're bringing uh, a certain velocity and a certain set of tools that in the healthcare we know we can really benefit from. And I'm really excited about what's going on in precision medicine and a combination of uh, wearables and machine learning technology to help us do better diagnostics and and better feedback to individuals. And and of course, in, in my arena, looking at how the very profound technologies of augmented reality and virtual reality technology can be used in healthcare, I find that really exciting because we we now have technologies that can provide on-demand experiences and those can be used for better assessments, particularly in the physical medicine arena and Uh, the mental health arena. Instead of doing subjective assessments uh, by observation or listening to people's self-report, we can measure things very precisely and in a standardized way. And um, they can also be used to create some amazing interventions. And something that's very, with an aging population, I think that's something we need to really focus on how we can come up with next generation technologies that will help support some of the uh, problems that we, we have with a top-heavy population of so many seniors that are going to be struggling with uh, mobility issues, with pain, with isolation, with depression, with anxiety, and with uh, neurodegenerative disease. So I, I'm excited about the evolution of digital health technologies and how they can apply it to the medical arena, and I'm excited that we have some new tools.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, we, we had a, a chance to connect briefly before uh, the interview, Walter, and, you know, you, you commented that, yeah, you know, VR and AR has been around for over 30 years. And uh, you, you've been involved in it since before it was cool. <laughs> well,
1: uh, it was cool back then, too. But, uh <laughs> <laughs> but it's now portable and cool.
0: And there you and, go. I guess that and, was and the much difference, better. right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, maybe it was too cool back then. I think we for many years the term virtual reality was viewed as uh, you know almost uh, uh, futuristic. Uh, yeah, very futuristic and very unreachable. But now for you know uh, three or four hundred dollars, one can get a really good virtual reality system. But the good news is also that my research group and many other research groups have been very active in pioneering how this technology can be used clinically. And even though the technology in the past was very expensive, very unwieldy, sometimes very uncomfortable we were able to understand how it could be applied to clinical issues. And so now that the technology is much more affordable, much more accessible, much more comfortable, we can take the lessons that we've learned over the uh, last 30 years and and translate the, help that technology escape from the research labs and get out into clinical care.
0: Love that. And so why don't we hone in on that for a little bit, Walter? What do you think an example of of the research you guys have, have done that could be applied at her has already been applied to improve outcomes and make things better in healthcare?
1: Well, uh, there's a couple of areas where things have, are primed and ready to go. One area is um, stroke rehabilitation, traumatic brain injury rehabilitation. Uh, we, we already have a large number of clinics that are using the technology very effectively in that zone. Another area is in in the zone of training. Uh, Surgical skill training is just one example, but also team training on how to handle a a complex uh, uh, process or procedure or deal with uh, an emergency that requires a team effort to respond to. Third area would be helping with um, addictions. Uh, We know that we can use virtual environments to teach people situational confidence and to learn refusal skills uh, to help them with their Rehabilitation and managing peer pressure, for example. I guess another area would be in the zone of um, doing better assessments for mild cognitive impairment and indexing cognitive decline, uh, age-related cognitive decline, and screening for neurodegenerative disease. We've we've come up with some really amazing tools that can do a much more objective assessment there. And I'm also excited by what we can do in in the zone of. Uh, helping those on the autism spectrum. We can slow down the speed of the world. We can exaggerate um, facial expressions and other nonverbal communication signals and allow people to learn in the context of a virtual environment how to recognize those nonverbal skills. So there's a pretty long list. It'd be hard for me to say what I'm most excited about, but I am excited about the fact that we now have some new tools for both better assessments and, and better interventions
0: fascinating list that that you provided there and you know i'm just sitting here thinking wow you know all these applications and it's just the tip of the iceberg truly exciting to to be alive in healthcare at this time i'm curious what you would say has been Maybe a setback and what you learn from that setback with the work that you're doing, whether it be the research or, or any at any of the companies that you're involved with.
1: Well, one of the lessons I learned when I was translating some of the technology from the research lab out as a clinical product was to make sure that the pricing is appropriate. Hmm. Uh, it sounds like a, a pretty mundane thing, but with one of my first medical products, the system that was on the old Macintosh SE computer mm-hmm. was used for helping hand surgeons and hand therapists do an impairment rating and generate a, a clinical report. We priced the product very high and that was against my instincts and my impressions, but I was pretty inexperienced when it came to um, that part of medical product development. And by pricing it too high, I think we we missed the opportunity to get it out to more people and to really truly reach more customers and, and get more momentum. It took us a while to, to adjust our pricing. And I guess in conclusion, to me it's really important that and I try and advise all the startups that I work with right now to to really pay attention to not just the validation of your product and making sure that it matches customers' needs in terms of function, but also understand it's, you know, to do the really the business engineering behind a product too. Some great,
0: great advice there, Walter. And you know, as Many people get stuck in that trap of you know you built it and and you're trying to position it, making sure it aligns with incentives and and that it's priced correctly. I think it's a it's a huge one to to bring up. So I'm really glad that you did.
1: Well, it's often often many of the startups I'm working with today are emerging from the computer gaming arena or from the technology sector and they they need to learn very fast about how to validate a product how to position a product and it's often the the business model of the of our very complex medical ecosystem that is the most difficult part to figure out. I mean, there's a regulatory pathway, there's a reimbursement pathway. I think those things are things that can be addressed and there's a pathway to get through, but often understanding the workflow of a clinic and understanding some of the microeconomics of a clinic, uh, that's often the, the hardest part. And coming up with the right product positioning and pricing is is something that that there is a learning curve for for many of these companies that are entering the arena. But I guess the good news is that there's now a lot of collaboration going on between these medical technology companies that are emerging. Again, some of them are coming from other sectors of business like the computer gaming arena. But they're starting to collaborate with the pharmaceutical uh, companies, with medical device companies to come up with this new wave of digital health products And those channels, uh, those companies know the channels and the pricing correctly and can help also with validation. So I'm starting to see another wave of uh, products emerge, and they're being done in collaboration with some of the existing participants in the medical community.
0: Yeah, that's that's really, really interesting, and I think important nowadays where… The amount of risk for product innovation, especially for some of these larger pharma and device companies is is really high and um, it seems to me that they've come to almost rely on smaller companies that are willing to put the the sweat equity and the you know initial investment to get it going so definitely a great pathway for for startups listening today to find out ways to get that validation and positioning right. So what would you say is one of the proudest uh, leadership experiences you've had to date, Walter?
1: I guess I, I've had many proud moments, of course, because I'm in an area that is in healthcare. It's, it's almost by definition what we do and create uh, leads us to feel proud about our work. But I think for me personally, there's been times where customers have reached out to me. Uh, they found me through the products that they were using, and they reached out to thank me. Back in two thousand eight and two thousand and nine, I was working on a product to help children on the autism spectrum learn social skills and Several of the parents who had been using that product and had seen great success with their children took the trouble to write to me and keep me posted about the how this had made a big difference in their son and daughter 's lives and and that of course was very rewarding and and i 've had that happen um, with a few of the other products that i 've made where it's not just the pride that you get of making making a product that you feel makes a difference, but when, when you hear from the people that it has actually impacted directly, which often we don't get to hear as as scientists and as as engineers and technology developers, but when when the customers find you and thank you, that that's always a very rewarding
0: that's amazing, you know, that these people looked for you and found you. And where were you when you got that message? you just like sitting in your living room?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I think the first time it came through uh, an email that um, the company that was uh, representing the products that I had developed uh, had forwarded to me. And uh, the second time it was through, uh, I guess it was a phone call. So yeah, it's a wonderful thing. Often I think as scientists, as engineers, as technologists, uh, as the people behind the scenes making the products that eventually get out into the clinical zone. I think as a clinician, yeah, you often get direct feedback about the value of what you're doing, but yeah. often the people behind the scenes don't get that opportunity. So mm-hmm. that, that was really wonderful for me.
0: That is fantastic, Walter. And, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you as well, like, you know, it definitely, whenever people reach out to, to me about an episode that we put out that really made a difference, like it's really a great feeling to, to know that your work is, is making an impact.
1: Well, uh, it's all part of an ecosystem, and, and what you do is very important, especially with the focus on outcomes. That's that's often an area that, uh, I mean, it's really the index of how we design things correctly, and it's a it's an, sometimes an inscrutable thing to measure, but we have to. We need to know the value of what we're doing and how it affects outcomes, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you've had many rewarding moments, too, where you've seen how you've moved the needle by providing the information that you do. So, but yeah, we're all part of that ecosystem trying to make uh, things better.
0: Yeah, that's a g- great way to look at it. We're in this ecosystem and, and how, how are you going to participate? You know, so you're listening to this podcast with uh, Walter and myself and, you know, you're hearing about the awesome things that Walter's done and, and, and how technology is advancing, how we're going from analog to digital. Question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do from this uh, this time that you've spent with us today? Hopefully, you contribute to the ecosystem and not just listen. And what would you say out of all the things that you're doing, Walter, is is probably one of the most exciting things. What's keeping you up at night? and Why are you waking up early?
1: I'm really excited about the evolution of uh, and application of precision medicine. The way we can use some of the new assessments that we have to better personalize uh, our approach. So it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So there's a program at the National Mental Health Innovation Center where we have working very closely with many of the technology startups to help them validate their their product ideas in the field of, of mental health. And a big part of that, I think, is helping them understand how they can apply their analytics to come up with personalized pathways to leverage the machine learning technologies that, that is out there, the better user interface technologies that we have, the and to and the program at the National Mental Health Innovation Center, it's, it's called the TIN Network, the Technology Innovation Network. Connects these technology companies that are developing medical products directly with community healthcare clinics, with uh, hospitals and to research departments, et cetera, and gives them the test bed to actually validate their products. And and I think that to me that's a very exciting thing, helping the next wave of digital health technology connect a little bit closer with the users of that technology and both the clinicians and, and the patients. And to me that that process of what's well, just good design. And I'm I'm excited to be a part of it.
0: You know, and 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 Walter as I think about the role of of tin it's critical. You know, I mean, a lot of money gets. People talk about taking costs out of the system, and that's true. We need to do it. But the the other side of it is all the companies that fail, right? And that's a lot of money that's lost there too. You know, what can we do to help these companies be more successful? And I think the work that you're doing there is is critical.
1: I have to agree, and I'm excited that in a way there's some different attitudes. When I first got involved in medical product development. Uh, and made the translation from being a research scientist to being a involved in product development, uh, it was almost like leaving the church, that there was a feeling that there was a big separation between the zone of academic research and the zone of product development. And mm-hmm. I think the barriers are are, are are dropping on that now, and that we are working with a more of an ecosystem approach, but helping, especially now that there's a new wave of sort of early stage startups that are jumping into digital health we need to help them understand how to do validation how to look at outcomes how how to look at the designing the products to match better match the needs of both the clinicians who are going to be using it and, and also the patients who are going to be using it and we can't do that if we have this feeling of we're on one side of the ivory tower and you're on on The other side, uh, it's, it's it just needs to be broken down, and, and I think that is happening. We're, we 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 are breaking down those barriers. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and you know, you also mentioned the this phase, like a second or a third phase, going from analog to digital medicine. We're, we're we've done it in electronic medical records. We we've done it in in many different areas, but there's still room to grow. You want to comment on that a little bit?
1: I guess that. What I'm seeing right now is that there's a bit of an impedance mismatch between the larger pharmaceutical companies, the larger medical device companies, the existing healthcare provider networks and insurance carriers, and the velocity and speed of some of the newly emerging digital health startups. And so we've done, with a lot of effort and and some aches and pains, we've, we've made that transition from a day where all medical records were handwritten. Mm -hmm. And I I often, when I was first selling medical products that were computer-based, many of the clinicians I I would run across had never used a mouse or had never learned to type. And that transition now to where computers are not inappropriate to have in the patient examination room, as a matter of fact, often patients uh, wonder what's wrong if you're not looking up things on the internet related yeah. to their specific condition. I think we've made a big sea change in that. And, and now also uh, with the introduction of combination therapy of pharmaceuticals combined with apps, uh, that's opened up a whole other pathway to collect outcomes data, to do validation, to dynamically adjust and personalize medicine. So I almost feel like we're on the third wave of digital medicine. I, and to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to we don't say digital medicine. <laughs> That we don't need a special term for it; that it's just yeah. part of part of healthcare. But and with the introduction of some very powerful technologies um, like augmented reality and virtual reality technology and spatial computing and machine learning, I think it's just picking up velocity. So, you know, we have to be careful because of this uh, impedance mismatch of speed and velocity and approach that the tech groups are bringing to the medical ecosystem. We have to make sure that we bring that momentum energy in in the right way and channel it to make sure that we're very careful about validation, very careful about uh, understanding the pluses and minuses of the new approach. But but I think it's 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 very exciting. And I, I think our medical ecosystem is up to the challenge of embracing the changes that are coming. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you you sharing your thoughts there because I I was intrigued when you when you brought up that idea of this transition and ultimately your conclusion. Hey, let's get to the point where we don't even say digital medicine. It's like when you say phone. Everybody just assumes you have like a, a smartphone, right? Want to get to that point in medicine, and 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 with the work that you've done, Walter, and and you know organizations uh, that you're involved with, as well as just the work that you do there at Stanford, it's uh, it's going to happen faster than uh, if you weren't working at it. So appreciate all the things yeah. that you guys do. Well, thank you. So getting to the end of our time here, Walter, we've got a lightning round followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? <laughs> sure. All right. Go for it. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
1: I think incorporating um, the power of machine learning and statistical analysis and with wearable sensors and leveraging the push and pull of technology that we can use to better reach the patients and to better personalize a medical approach. Love it.
0: What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
1: I think not. There's a big tidal wave of change coming with um, the next generation of digital health interventions. And I think if people in the medical ecosystem don't pay attention to that oncoming wave of machine learning, wearables, uh, virtual reality technology, uh, analytics, and and, uh, I think that you'll be left in the dust. Things are changing very rapidly. A great warning.
0: How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
1: You have to stay ahead of the curve. If you want to stay relevant, you have to be part of that change. You have to participate to help out with the validation, help help out with the coming up with the new standards, help coming up with the new, all these new technologies bring with them concomitant uh, privacy concerns and uh, valid, you know, validation, needs for better validation. And if you're just standing by watching, you're not going to be relevant. So it's, it's important to roll up your sleeves and jump in.
0: Some great advice there, folks. It's definitely not a spectator sport. got to play. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your work,
1: Walter? I think the need for validation. I think it's often very easy to quickly develop a new approach or a new method in clinical care with all these new emerging tools, but taking the time to do good design to pay attention to the needs of the user, and then to validate the efficacy to make sure that you know what we're so excited about is actually worth the time, cost, and is effective, and is safe. Uh, that's something that I was, with the increased velocity of change that happens, we need to make sure we have that foundation of proper validation and good design.
0: And uh, these next two are a little more on a personal note, Walter, for the listeners to get to know you better. What's your number one health habit?
1: I do my best to try and get a good night's sleep. <laughs> I nice. I wish I was better at it, but that's that's my my aspiration.
0: <laughs> I love it. I'm definitely right there with you. And uh, what would you say your number one success habit is?
1: I think my number one success habit is that I I just keep moving. Uh, there's a lot going on right now, and in my zone. And I think that it's a double-edged sword for me. I'm I'm very horizontal in my approach. I do a lot of work that I work with a large number of groups trying to help them address the opportunities uh, that are coming through this revolution that we've been talking about. So for me, I think it's, I hope that success comes from connecting people, uh, facilitating collaborations, making sure that we're all in touch with each other and and know what we're up to. And our all rolling in the same direction, so I, I hope that leads to success for all of us.
0: Love that, Walter. And and you know, for the listeners, Walter's definitely doing some phenomenal work. As he said, horizontally, as it relates to this digital revolution in healthcare, whether it be the machine learning, the sensors, the virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, definitely somebody that you should be following and being in touch with. If you have a great idea and, and are looking for guidance, definitely somebody that I'd recommend strongly that you uh, connect with. What book would you recommend to the listeners?
1: Oh, boy. That's like asking, who's your favorite child? Um, <laughs> it's hard to choose. But um, I'll tell you what, what what I'm thinking of right now in response to your question, which is uh, Kurt Vonnegut's book, Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse Five, okay. Yeah, it, it was a really a translational work in that it, it appeared to people who like good literature, but it also appealed to people who like science fiction. Hmm. And it, um, it really told an amazing story that was an anti war story. So for me, hitting those boxes of, of science fiction, anti war, and good constructive literature, it, it, it's one of my favorite books. Great recommendation. Cat, Thank Cat's you. Cat's Cradle welcome. by Kurt Vonnegut. No, Slaughterhouse
0: Five. Slaughter, by, yeah, Slaughterhouse, Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse five. Outstanding. Well, appreciate that uh, recommendation. And uh, wow, but, but Saul, this,
1: what's your what's your favorite book? And let me put you on the spot a second
0: here. Yeah, no, I, I I love reading. And if I had to tell you my favorite one to date, I guess just like you, right? It's like what's which one's your favorite, child? I enjoyed the Innovator's Dilemma by Christensen, and it just I, I loved it. Uh-huh. Kind of like I am enjoying our conversation because. Of the history, I'm a history guy. So, I, I, um, my, my undergrad was in classical humanities, and, and I, I appreciate and enjoy history just because I feel like it teaches us so much about today and what's going to happen. And Christensen did such a beautiful job of, of laying out the, the history of innovation, how, how it's happened and, and, and fast forwarded it to today. And so, I really enjoyed that and the lessons that the book taught, uh, you know, whether you be an entrepreneur or, Or or somebody involved with uh, with a larger company, and what we could do to to innovate.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah, I don't know Uh, if you've read it or not. Check that out. Yeah, it's a good one. I
0: haven't, but
1: I put it on the list.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Hey, you're the first one that's done that. (laughs) I've done I've done over four hundred interviews, Walter. You're the first one that's turned it around on me. I like it.
1: (laughs) Well, next time I'm going to ask you what you're most proud of.
0: Uh, So uh, be prepared. I will be, I will be. Walter, this has been a blast. What closing thought would you leave the listeners with and where could they continue the conversation with you?
1: Well, uh, I guess my closing thought is that I I spent some time, uh, Stanford has a center on longevity and it's uh, we call the center longevity because it crosses the the spectrum, not just focusing on the distal end and and talking about aging. And I I had the pleasure of uh, for a short while running the mind division of the Stanford Center on Longevity. And one of the things I learned from that experience was to pay close attention to the fact that we do have a looming crisis in health care, in particular, the fact with an aging boomer population here in the US. And it's really a worldwide problem. It's just a matter of math. And we know that in 10, 15 years, we're going to have a large number of seniors uh, Approximately two out of every seven of those in the 70s and 80s are going to have a neurodegenerative disease. But there's other problems that go along with uh, the fact that we're all living a lot longer. And we need to leverage technology now. We need to start the validation, the, the next wave of product development. If we're going to be in time to address that looming economic and social crisis that is just a matter of doing the arithmetic. We just don't have enough youngsters to support that aging population. Even if we're just using informal caregivers, uh, family sizes have gone down. Mm -hmm. So on a worldwide basis and on a U.S. basis, we know that there's a problem. We can see it coming. We see the headlights in our rearview mirror, and we have to start focusing on coming up with some really amazing interventions to help with that. We have some time, but we, we have to move swiftly. So I, I guess that would be my closing thought. I'm optimistic that we can leverage some of the incredible technologies that are uh, emerging right now. And I'm so glad that there's a lot of collaboration going on between the technology developers and the everybody else in the medical ecosystem. But we do have to move collaboratively and, and swiftly.
0: That's a, a great call to action that you've left us all with, Walter, and uh, one that I'll be thinking about. It is a challenge. And so folks, think about that challenge, you know, and uh, look up the center of longevity at Stanford, uh, learn a little bit more about what they're up to over there. And let's think about how we shape the future of, of how we care for the elderly, because we, we, will, we will all need that care. And so love the call to action there, Walter, really appreciate the, the thoughts that you shared with us and definitely looking forward to staying in touch.
1: Well, thank you, Saul. I've enjoyed this. I enjoyed the questions, and I'll put in a mention for the National Mental Health Innovation Center at the University of Colorado. Um, they're doing some incredible work in addressing some of these issues, in particular as they relate to behavioral health and mental health. And I think they're a tremendous resource, also.
0: Outstanding, and and folks, along with all the uh, resources and things that we've discussed here with Walter. We'll include a link to the National Mental Health Innovation Center that he just mentioned, the companies that Walter's involved with, as well as the Center of Longevity. For you to be able to access, just go to outcomesrocket.health, and in the search bar, type in Walter, and you're going to find it there. So again, Walter, just want to give you a big thanks and uh, really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Saul. I enjoyed it.